0: Welcome to the Common Good Podcast, the podcast that showcases the very best of Glasgow Caledonian University and how the institution, its staff and its research benefits people and communities both at home and overseas. My name is Craig Telfer and today I am joined by Eleanor Cormack, a final year student on the university's d Sport and Exercise Programme to look at her research into gender stereotyping in sport. Eleanor, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for inviting me, Craig. How have you been finding things over the last 12 months working from home?
1: It's been up and down, I think, fair to say, and I think everybody's been finding that, but we're getting there, we're getting there.
0: How have you found being a student at the university during the pandemic?
1: It's been challenging, but the university have generally been pretty supportive. I'm usually only physically in university one day a week, so from that point of view, it's not been a massive change. Um, Saved me driving down to Glasgow, which is good, um, from Perthshire. But yeah, there's definitely been challenges around just keeping in contact and kind of feeling engaged with with people on the course and things like that. So we've kind of come up with different ways of doing that. Though,
0: What's it like to study for a doctorate during this period? In fact, what's it like to study for a doctorate full stop?
1: Well, put it this way, I've been kind of suggesting to some people that anybody who graduates at the end of this year should get extra letters after their name just to (laughs) recognise that they did it during a pandemic. Um, you know maybe I'll eat CVD at the end or something it's it's good it's good because at a doctorate level you, you know you get to kind of go more in depth into you know areas that interest you and um, our doctorate is also it's essentially a professional doctorate so there's, there's the research element but there's also a lot of practical work so we do a lot of therapeutic skills and go out on placement and the placement's been particularly challenging because obviously mm-hmm. a lot of sport completely ground to a halt to be able to then kind of say to sporting organizations can we do something extra when they're you know really not doing the minimum has been quite challenging so I think I've currently got four or five different placements on the go um so just managing that's that's a challenge at any day of the week but you know that has its benefits in that I've done things that maybe I wouldn't have gone into um, otherwise you know so get a bit of a, a mix of experience but yeah it's definitely like everything doing it in a pandemic has been slightly more challenging
0: Can you talk about some of the experiences that you've taken on that you might not have done in normal circumstances?
1: Yeah, well, just in terms of maybe going into some sports that I wouldn't have, you know, necessarily thought of to start with. So I'm currently doing some work with the Camarack Association. Okay. I don't really know an awful lot about shinty. I've seen a couple of games, (laughs) but that's about it. But um, I had approached them on the back of, I'd heard, uh, it was a J a radio programme with Gary Ennis talking about the high suicide rates that he had experienced within one of his clubs and kind of the work that Kamenak were then doing around mental health Mm -hmm. and they've created a a sort of chaplaincy service that works with the clubs to provide that support and so thinking about mental health particularly with with men which you know Shinty is like a lot of sports is a lot you know slightly slightly male dominated Mm -hmm. but also the culture that sits around it so you know the kind of highland man the 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 battle or you know that sort of thing that that potentially they're not going to be as open at talking and coming forward and so Mm -hmm. I was I approached them on the sort of thinking that or the the kind of proposal to say well actually is sports psychology a route into that Mm -hmm. so that the stigma attached to maybe talking to a professional or talking to a psychologist is is reduced because they can do it from the angle of, but it's about my sport, you know, it's about my performance and actually, you know, performance doesn't exist in a bubble of yeah. life. So so that's been quite interesting to do that. And it's it's very much been around just kind of introducing a lot of ideas to them and a lot of discussion. And we've done a lot of workshops with some of their coaches and some of their players and some of their officials as well. And then I've done a bit of one-to-one work with some of the people that that, again, it's not, Yes, it's sports related, but a lot of what we do as sport and exercise psychologists or training is that, yeah, the starting point and the context is sport and exercise. But, you know, as I say, it's life is, is what influences a lot of that. So, mm. you know, you end up talking about lots of other things and helping people with a lot of other issues that have an impact on their sport,
0: but don't maybe start there. It sounds like it's a, a very interesting study. And let's talk about that, Eleanor. And I want to start off with a really broad question. What do we mean by gender stereotyping in sport?
1: So if we make that even broader and start with stereotypes, so so stereotypes are effectively socially constructed shared beliefs. So they the reason they exist is that they're useful. So they help us to make decisions about what's appropriate in certain situations, what might be expected of us, things like that. But what happens is that those stereotypes Get formed and then maybe don't adjust to changes in culture or changes social changes. Okay. So when we're talking about gender stereotypes in sport, we're talking about those older stereotypes. Usually, they've been around for you know decades, if not you know centuries. That that sports are male domain. That men and women are expected to act differently. You know things like men are strong and you know women have things like. I'm thinking about things like gymnastics is almost a classic case in the sense of that the way that that sport has developed has been very much influenced by that over the years. So if you look at the things that men compete in, then that is all about showing strength and, you know, that kind of very, that that sort of very physical strength. Whereas the women's events involve things that also show, you know, the sort of more dance elements and the flair and, and, and not so much now, because that is a sport that's changed a lot, but, you know, it was all about that petite female figure and, that, that was what was important about how women looked in that sport because that was the expectation and the stereotype so when we're talking about them in sport in general it's that idea that there are certain sports that are appropriate to men and certain sports that are appropriate to women rather than it being about the ideal as I would say it would be that there's sport and you can do whichever sport you like for various reasons there will be men who like more artistic sports and there will be men who like more physical sports and equally there will be women who like team sports and women who like individual sports mm-hmm. so stereotypes are things like oh, women aren't competitive well i can tell you for now i'm <laughs> competitive so you know that's going against the, the the stereotype and so the the danger with them is that we apply them too broadly mm-hmm. so as i say stereotypes in general are useful to help us socially but when we start putting them across blanket areas or when they are no longer relevant, which I would argue would be the case with a lot of the ones around sport, they then become problematic because they create barriers, they reduce opportunities for people. And that's really kind of what attracted me into, to that area of research mm-hmm. is, is that I see that and I wanted to understand it more and to, to influence the change. Mm-hmm.
0: We'll come on and talk about your research more broadly shortly, Eleanor. But you mentioned gymnastics is seen predominantly as a as a sport for women. Are there any other examples of sports where it's really like this is for this is for women, this is for men?
1: I think gymnastics just is is that. I'm not saying it's it's seen as one for women, but there is very there are women's gymnastics and men's gymnastics, and they are different. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's it. Other sports, I mean, I think the very obvious ones in this country, you know, football. Is, is one where women are catching up. And, you know, I think the announcement uh, this week, started this week about uh, women's football being covered on TV is massive <laughs> in terms of that sort of a shift. That's, that's the sort <laughs> of thing. It's
0: a TV contract, isn't it? Something along those lines.
1: Yeah, so I think, I haven't totally explained, but I think it's that it will actually be some of it covered on BBC and some of it with Sky, I think, as well. So Good. just having that presence, it's not going to be, you know, just available maybe on you get some of it on BBC Alibi. you get Scotland games on there, or you get, you know, it's online, you have to go looking for it. It'll just, Mm. it's really raising the profile and saying, well, actually, this is a sport that, yes, there's financial investment in, and it has, because within professional sport, that's kind of one of the measures is how much money is involved with it. Therefore, how much do we value the sport? Mm. You know, which is a whole other argument.
0: You mentioned about how stereotypes can form barriers and stop people from participating. Can you talk a wee bit more about the short and long term effects of gender stereotyping in sport?
1: One of the things that we know from the research is that um, having an awareness or having an awareness of stereotypes, even if you don't endorse them, starts to have an influence. So we know that, for instance, there's been research that, that shows that girls feel pressure to adhere to certain stereotypes so to to go towards those sports that are seen as more gender appropriate for them Um, and particularly the research seems to suggest that particularly they feel that from their mothers so that's going to steer people's decision making around what sports they participate in and you know that has an impact on so many things so if people are steered only towards individual sports for example or the more exercise side of things and I'm not there's nothing wrong with that if it's an open choice it's where they're going against what they would actually prefer what happens is that they then don't enjoy it as much and their motivational drop and ultimately get drop out so we know that around things like if people start to endorse stereotypes so in, in that sense i mean that they they actually start to believe them a bit more or they believe that they're you know there's there's logic behind them or reality behind them that leads to drop out we know that that just you know the more you endorse a stereotype the more likely you are to drop out of participating it also reduces your perceived value of the activity so in this case sport so how much you value that so that'll have an impact on kind of how much you'll fight for it in your life mm-hmm. almost mm-hmm. you know so we're all we all have competing options or competing um, demands on our time so if you start to not value a sport because you endorse the stereotype that it's not really for your gender, then you, you're, going, you're going to reduce your, your participation in because something else will come in that you value more. And ultimately, again, it, it has this impact on the intention to participate, so how much people say they will participate. Mm-hmm. We also know that it has you can have a very... So those, those sort of effects are a bit more longer term. Mm-hmm. You know, they sort of take a wee while to kick in, but we know it can have an immediate effect on how well you perform as well. So you can take a really simple task like, you know, shooting a basketball, for example. So, you know, sort of free throw. And just by introducing a simple statement, you can reduce people's performance in that. So you can reduce girls' performance by telling them that this is a a sport that is dominated by male, you know, by masculine abilities. So you can introduce a a statement around something like, this is a sport that requires more masculine abilities of, of strength, but have a go anyway. (laughs) and you know you say something like that and just by doing something like that you can get get people's participation uh, performance to drop so they effectively missed the hook
0: can this have a knock-on effect on people's day-to-day lives away from sport
1: yeah so the effect of what's called stereotype threat wasn't found originally in sport it was found within education so they started looking at it in things like academic tests so and it wasn't it wasn't gender that they were looking at either, it was things like racial stereotypes, so around um, who should perform better in maths tests and things like that. And then they started to bring it over and look at it in in education. So yeah, absolutely. It it potentially can impact on anything where there's a stereotype at play. So that might be, you know, it'd be interesting. I don't think there's been any research on it. But you know, even things like something like buying a car is an environment where there's massive gender stereotypes that exist you won't have experienced this so much because you're a man but if I walk into a garage where they don't know me if I walk in with a male partner you know or a male friend the garage staff are way more likely to talk to them than me mm-hmm. and all these sorts of things suddenly you know they, they have an effect because you start mm-hmm. to think actually, well, maybe my opinion here isn't valued maybe I don't know anything about this and that's effectively when we translate that from sport that's your perceived ability in the situation mm-hmm. starts to drop because you you know, all the messages are this isn't an environment for you. This isn't somewhere you should be. This isn't something where, where you have competence, you know, things like that. And then, I mean, I guess politics would be the other area where it's massively obvious at the moment in terms of, you know, I'm not going to get into all of that, but it's that, <laughs> it's that um, you know, that idea of what does a politician look like? Yeah. What role should women play? How do we report that? You know, the language that's used to report what female politicians do versus what male politicians do. Of course you know, the acceptability of behaviour and all these sorts of things. These are all stereotypes or are all drawing those stereotypes mm-hmm. that we've set up culturally for what's expected behaviour of certain people in certain roles.
0: Very good. That leads me on to my next question. And who's responsible for perpetuating these stereotypes?
1: We all are, right. effectively. You know, even as somebody myself who's very aware of them, I find myself every so often going, oh, I see what I've just done there you know I'm just either these days because I'm so embedded in it now I'm less likely to maybe say something but I hear myself thinking it you know I hear myself making assumptions or you know being surprised at something perhaps which shouldn't be surprising if the stereotype wasn't there so you know being surprised to see you know a woman doing a certain role um, and it's simply because oh sort of example maybe from a couple of years ago but being surprised that I was on a plane and it was a female pilot. It's not that I don't think women could fly a plane. Of course, women could fly a plane, but because you don't see it, it's mm-hmm. surprising to you. And then I think, oh, that's great that a woman's fly a plane. And I'm going, why do I think that's so great? Why? Why should that matter? Why? You know, and you get into this whole headspace. But but it's it's all because you know culturally, I've grown up in a world where women don't fly planes, mm-hmm. you know, or if they are flying them, we don't see them. And um, you know, so it's it's about there's an ex. There are no role for us all to be challenging that and changing our behavior and changing the words we use but there's also that oh, self-awareness of realizing you know what's going on in your own head what are the assumptions you can which stereotypes do you endorse which ones maybe are okay to endorse and which ones do you think i'm not that comfortable with that i want to challenge that and maybe i want to do more to challenge that mm-hmm. um, and there is an awful lot more of that happening on social media and in the news and 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 what we're trying to do is make sure we can actually understand what's happening so that we can then you know help people to make the changes in the most appropriate way Mm -hmm. so that you know for example if parents understand the role of the language and the messages they put out they can start to examine whether those are the messages they want to put out Mm -hmm. so much of it is unintentional simply influenced by the culture that we grew up in and the messages that we got and you know, the messages we got at school or in our sports clubs or, you know, whatever it is, that we've all picked up some of these to varying degrees. You know, we pick it up from the media. And it's the more we can be aware of that and start to work out what is it that I want to put out, what's the influence I want to have on my environment rather than simply being led by the environment, I guess. Is that
0: shift? How can we influence the environment then? Is it a case of better education for teachers and coaches to make the environment more inclusive? Yeah, I think that's a good starting point.
1: And and there is, as I say, you know, we're making changes in that in leaps and bounds. You know, if we look back to, you know, 30 years ago when I was a kid, you know, the, the environments are completely different now, which is great. But there is still a lot of that unintentional messaging. So if we can help coaches and teachers and parents and volunteers anybody else and officials, and whoever else is within that sport environment to understand the impact of what they are potentially doing we can then help them to to think about what they're doing more and like well actually I'm going to make a deliberate decision to act differently or I'm going to change my behavior you know it's things like I mean the classic phrases of throws like a girl well that's still, it's still out there. It's still. I mean, I used to say that, you know, because it was something that was just said. And then you go, wow, how incredibly damaging is that statement to every girl who's ever thrown? And every boy who's been told he throws like a girl, like, that's a bad thing. Why would it be a bad thing to throw like a girl? Why would a girl not be good at throwing? And it so if you start to un, unravel the things, and then you go, well, well, effectively, I've got about telling girls that they shouldn't be able to throw and that boys should be able to throw. So then any boy who feels like he can't throw very well now feels like a failure any girl who can feel who can throw feels like she shouldn't be able to because that's not something <laughs> girls do everybody else who hasn't learned how to throw yet then feels like they have no business learning how to throw and they should just accept that they can't throw <laughs> and so a simple phrase like that has just basically made everybody who could either throw or not throw feel rubbish about it <laughs>
0: What about the governing bodies themselves, Eleanor? Are they properly represented? Is there a good gender balance in there to help drive out these stereotypes?
1: I think it does vary and, and there are certainly some governing bodies who are, who are really trying to make moves to be quite explicit in those changes. You have specific programmes around you know, women and girls who have programmes at specific areas, but, you know, think of things like women in coaching programmes, things like that, to say, well, actually, we recognise that there is a gender imbalance and we want to try and shift that perception of, for example, what is a coach? What does a coach look like? You know, a lot of the coaches we see are male. There's absolutely no reason, in fact, there's a lot of reasons why women make potentially better coaches around, you know, relationship abilities and things like that but that in itself is part stereotype you know as well so there are definitely government bodies who are who are trying very hard to shift this but these things do take time it's not an overnight thing because they're so culturally embedded so some Mm -hmm. of the challenges that have or the changes that have to happen need to be quite challenging you know to to get that moving so you know the fact that people do shout about why are we not paying men and women the, the same for doing the same uh, things. But the fact that those debates are happening is really positive mm-hmm. to start to get people to really think about it and, and think about what they think about it rather than just going along with it because it's always been there. So, yes, there's, there's definitely some governing bodies who are trying very hard. There's some who could do a lot better. And I think they tend to be the ones who are generally certainly in my experience, are the ones who are generally influenced a lot by their tradition or their, well, it's always been that way, we don't right. like and change and the, the gender imbalance is all caught up in that. So, yeah, I, I would love to see revolutionary change happening. That would be great. But I also recognise that it might be more sensible to do some of it slightly slower or, or bring more people with you when you do it. I'm on the fence on that one.
0: <laughs> some days I want
1: to be a revolutionary.
0: You mentioned about how some sports are wedded to their tradition. What sports in particular are you referring to there?
1: In my, the ones that I have come across in my experience are things like, and this is by no means exclusive, but golf, mm-hmm. quite traditionally um structured. It was only fairly recently that you know they considered sort of bringing their male and female governing bodies together. For example, you know they used to be governed completely separately, and obviously it was a big deal to say that golf clubs weren't allowed to say women couldn't even come in the door. Yeah, In my opinion, in this day and age, that's, that's just ridiculous. But um, other other sports, I think, I think football still has a long way to go.
0: Yeah, I think yeah. in terms
1: of participation, it does much better. But further up, not so not so well, maybe in some of the uh, management structures and things like that. <laughs> I think a, a sport that I participate in that has a very traditional structure in some levels is curling. There's a lot of movements within that sport to try and shift some of that. And, and you know, when you look at performance programmes within curling, it's, it's great. But within the membership, so less the governing body leading it, but with the membership, there's a lot of people who still hold a lot of gender stereotypes about what women's curling looks like, or in their case, ladies curling, that's quite traditional, or men's curling, you know, so and, and a, a part of that is potentially tied up in, you know, the age mm-hmm. of a lot of curlers so things like that. So the younger curlers probably don't see it the same, you know, so that's a case where the governing body are, are working hard to shift some of that. And perhaps maybe more of it sits within the membership. And actually it's the individual curlers curler there to, to think, is this right? Should this always be the case? You know? Um. So, yeah, I kind of take the approach of chipping away at it. And I think, the more education we can get. Because as I say, a lot of it is unintentional. People don't realise what they're doing and don't realise why it, it goes further than themselves. You know, they might be quite comfortable sitting in a very stereotyped role. And that is it's fine. I'm not saying they have to run off and take up wrestling or something. You know, it's, it's about saying, well, do you understand why you doing that and seeing those things might impact other people mm-hmm. and might close down opportunities for other people? girls and boys and men and women you know it does go both ways it's just that sport is largely male that there are only little niche areas of sport where it's seen as more of a a women's domain Let's focus on your research
0: paper, Eleanor. It's called A Systematic Review of Gender Stereotype Beliefs and Their Relationship with Youth Sport Participation and Performance. And it's been published in the Sport and Exercise Psychology Review Journal. Can you tell me about that? What's uh, We know what the title is, but can you talk about it a wee bit more?
1: Yeah, so the really catchy title that we came up with there.
0: <laughs> um, so,
1: yeah, so it's, it's, it's a systematic review, which is a method of looking at all the evidence that's out there and trying to very strategically assess the quality of it, assess um, kind of what meets your inclusion criteria. So you set out to say, I'm going to look at this, this, and this. And if a study mentions these three things, then I'll include it in my review. If it doesn't, then it's good. So it's quite black and white in that. So what we did was look at across, and specifically youth sport, because that hadn't been done before. There's some reviews out there, but they're looking at, at adult sport. And then I decided to look at both stereotype beliefs in participation and in performance because I knew there wasn't a huge amount of research out there. So we wanted to make it as broad as possible. When I say we, myself and my supervisor, uh, Dr. Chris Hand. So trying to make it as as kind of broad as possible to get a bit of a, a picture of what's going on. And even with that, we found that there was only eight studies that matched the criteria. Right. So that gives you an idea of, how limited the research is that's out there at the moment particularly specifically on that youth sport side of it so we basically yeah looked at searched through hundreds thousands of uh, journal articles to see um what was out there and and as i say we sort of drilled it down to these eight studies that looked at the effects on participation slash kind of intention to participate and on performance so that more like that basketball example of
0: mm-hmm. where we
1: looked at actually can you drop
0: performance by just introducing this area. One of the things um, focused on was hockey. Why did you choose to look at that one in particular?
1: Hockey was a, a related study that I did so I, I did the systematic review and then off the back of that I looked at doing an experimental study myself in hockey which was looking to see whether whether the stereotype threat effect, so that performance dropping effect, whether that existed, and whether it was related to what's called cognitive load. So the basically the difficulty of what your your brain's having to do at a tight at a specific time. So we had two hockey shooting tasks. One was an easy one and one was a bit harder. And we looked we looked at that um, again within that youth age group. So in this case, it was looking at um, kind of secondary school age. And partly hockey, because that's my sport, my main sport. Um, So I'm very familiar with it, but also because I was trying to look at it in a sport that hadn't been looked at before. So to try and understand, does this effect happen in different, you know, different arenas, different sporting arenas and kind of broaden out that, that research a bit. What we found from that one was that in that particular study, the effect didn't show up, which in itself was quite interesting because then we start to dig into why didn't it show up what might have been influencing that and that's kind of where I'm at with the research area just now is I'm in the middle of attempting to do research during a pandemic which is you know awesome but we're looking at it in basketball because basketball provides a really nice closed skill so that that taking a free throw it's either in or it's out you know there's no free areas with it but we're looking at it specifically around what role your perceived ability might play in that. So how good you think you are yourself, whether that's a protective element to the to the impact of the stereotype, and also gender identity. So how strongly you associate with being a girl, basically. And um, again, whether that mediates that, that influence of the stereotype threat. So does your performance drop less if you're less identifying as a girl for example
0: are you surprised by what you found so far
1: I wouldn't say I'm surprised I think what we know from the systematic review is that it's quite a complex area so it's all about unpicking it a bit that's where we are with the research just now is about going into some of the details and saying you know for example with perceived ability that was something that came out in the in the systematic review as that popped up quite a lot across the study the various studies that it might be something that's going on there so now we're saying well actually let's go and have a dig about in there and see what comes out I don't think yeah whether with the current one whether it it comes out as having an impact or not won't surprise me but it'll interest me to go okay so if it does why might it if it doesn't why didn't it you know (laughs) and because we know that it's in the mix somewhere Um, So really what we're trying to do is get down to almost some of the minutiae of the area and say, what environment can we create that would have the best possible chance of this effect not happening? Because ultimately we want to translate it into reality, into social situations. So we can say to coaches, if you do this, this and this, you can start to eradicate some of these effects.
0: That's perfect. That leads me on to my next question. Perfectly, how can this be implemented? How can we create these perfect environments?
1: We, we sort of touched on it already. Some of it is around that education. So the awareness, raising awareness amongst those delivering sport or those encouraging people into sport. I think that's that's got to be a certain point. So getting people to sort of audit their own language a bit, you know, to think about what do I say when I'm coaching? Do I say any of these things? Audit their own behaviours so... How did they engage with girls and boys in their class, for example, or their group? Do they engage differently with them? Do they hold different expectations of them? You know, are they rewarding the girls more for having a goal and rewarding the boys for success? You see things like that sometimes, you know, because they have higher expectations of boys. Do they use, who do they use to demonstrate skills? You know, these sorts of things. Do they always choose boys to demonstrate a skill in a PE class? message does that give out that gives out a message that boys are better at this that boys should be the ones demonstrating you know all these sorts of things also things around you know their own leadership behaviors and you know what does their coaching group look like does it represent the same way that you would with any sort of diversity does it represent the group that you're you're trying to engage with can you do something more to encourage young females to take on leadership roles or or if it's the other way you know is it that there's their, their coaching workforce is female dominated why aren't the boys thinking that's something for them so a lot of it is that awareness raising of of what you're doing firstly and why that might have an impact and then it's starting to build a block so you know something like perceived ability we, we can be fairly confident that having a high perceived ability yourself is a good thing anyway you know good for your enjoyment for your motivation all of which will help with engagement so what can you do to, to encourage people to believe in themselves. A lot of that is on things like feedback. What sort of feedback do you get? Do you set up tasks for people to succeed or do you set up tasks for them to fail? And where's that balance? So it's not about winning. It's not about everybody's a winner. It's not that approach of, well done, you turned up. It's about saying, well, actually, how can we help people to develop mastery, You know, to so develop their skills in a, in a safe environment where it's okay to fail? but
0: it's also highly possible to succeed. Eleanor, good with the rest of the study. Thank you very much for your time today. Really, really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for having me, Greg. I'd also like to thank everyone for listening to the show and I hope you can join us again soon when we will be talking with another member of staff from Glasgow Caledonian University. In the meantime, make sure you subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast from, wherever you get your podcast from because you'll find us on all major platforms. Until then, I've been Craig Telfer and this has been the Common Good Podcast.